From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up Presents. The Knicks are in the playoffs. That's what this episode is. The Knicks are in the playoffs. And to preview round one of the Eastern Conference playoffs for 2020-2021 for the New York Knicks is Jordan Brickman. Jordan, welcome back to Teeing It Up. Thank you so much for having me, Jeremy. Uh, my pleasure. Wow. What, what a season, what a year. Um, to be here, to be in this spot, um, it's been remarkable. When you think about this season, and you, know, you texted me, I think it was after like game three, and I was like, yo, this team's different. And I had the exact same thought over those first couple of games of, I don't know where this season is going, but Tibbs has got this team in a different mold, and lo and behold, here we are, first round of the playoffs, home court in the first round, four seed. Pretty, uh, pretty remarkable. I remember when we did our preseason preview podcast. I, I, you know, normally I'm generally pretty optimistic about the team, and this year I was like, I'm not going to let my optimism, you know, get to me. I remember I, I think I specifically said this team is going to lose a lot of games. Yeah. Um, the one year I'm not optimistic, I'm proven wrong. Um, but, you know, I, you could tell in the preseason that they were playing really hard. Um, but anyone can have a good preseason. And, you know, does it carry over when the losses start happening? When it's, you know, when the year turns and a couple months in and all-star break, are they still playing hard? And they just never stop playing hard. Um, and that's, that's kind of what it comes down to for this team. Obviously, there's been a lot of progression from a talent standpoint. A lot of players have really improved, but... The number one thing for this team is they play very, very hard, and they're super, super well coached by Tibbs. They're acting as one unit, and it's, it's, been, it's been an absolutely amazing season, a dream season so far. Uh, a, a dream season, and now getting that place back over 50% capacity starting Sunday is going to be unreal. Um, I, it, it's, it's been a remarkable run in front of no fans and then 2,000 fans. And when we were in there, 2,000 sounded loud. And I, I have no idea what 13,000 is going to sound like. But these are fans that are ready to go. And uh, it's going to be a fun run. Um, we had a conversation recently that was so good. I wish we were doing a podcast that day. Um, and I said to you, you know, for me, I feel like we're playing with a house money. Now And I don't care what we do, how far we go, what the expectations are for this team. And you had a very different response. I found it fascinating. So um, kind of walk me through your line of thinking about how, for you, the expectations have changed. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think bars, I think expectations should change as, as outcomes happen, right? So, you know, you're coming into the season, and I would have taken – Probably the tenth seed to play, get makes it to play in game. Maybe uh, hopefully RJ shows some improvement. You know, just kind of hoping that we have some nice pieces. Maybe you get a top five pick. That was kind of the expectation going into the year. Obviously, they've well surpassed those expectations. But now that you've shown that you are, you're a home court team in the first round. You're the number four seed in the NBA. You seem to be kind of towards the top of the tier two teams. Maybe if we want to call it that way, not a championship contender, but one of the better, if not one of the best teams kind of at this, this second tier, you need to show that, that you, you need to hammer home that you are the best of that tier two. And you do that by beating the Hawks and having a competitive series in the next round. Coming into the season, of course, 
making the playoffs and even winning a game would have been an amazing feat. But that's, it's a different team now. The, the R.J. Barrett has shown that he is a plus three-point shooter, as, as has Randall. Um, basically every player, with the exception of probably Alfred Payton that's in the rotation, has had a best-case scenario season. You don't want those things to regress in the playoffs because then it feels like, oh, well, when the brights were lightest, the lights were brightest, excuse me, uh, they, they didn't show up. Um, or they, did, they, 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 they crumpled or they, they figured out what they were doing well, the other teams did in a the, the long series. Regular season is great, and the Knicks haven't had a good regular season in a long time, but your bread is buttered in the playoffs, and they need to show up in the playoffs to really um, show they've taken that next step. Now, look, if they get swept by the Hawks, let's say, or something, you know, losing five or even losing seven games, um, well, I'm going to stand if I'm there, which I will be if it goes six to seven. I'll be staying. I'll give them a standing ovation for for the season that they that they had. But um, the expectation is they need to win this series. They have home court advantage. Um, the odds are about even for who will win. We we have the the, the more experienced coach in the playoffs. We we they're not very experienced roster wise. So we're going to need to. The expectation now is to win this for me is to win this series and be a tough out in the next round. Interesting. Wow. All right. We'll get back to that later in the pod because I find that fascinating. Um, you always want to enter the playoffs in a positive mindset. And I think for this team, having it'll wind up being six, uh, six days of rest, seven days of rest is going to be huge because I thought we were getting tired down the stretch towards the season. Tibbs runs these guys hard, and he's been known in the past to run these guys hard in, in the regular season and then they don't have it in the playoffs. Are you concerned about stamina or endurance at all with this squad? I'm definitely very happy about the days off. That's, that's huge. <laughs> Normally that would not be happening. The playing game definitely gives them that, that ability to, to rest. Just as a side, I love the playing game. I love that it's been a little additional advantage for the top six teams to get that extra week of rest. Um, so so, so that, that's awesome. But um, I'm worried about fatigue. Yes and no. You know what I'm most worried about, the player I'm most worried about, I should say, is Derrick Rose. Mm. Um, right, right now, the rotation is Alfred Payton plays five to seven minutes in the first quarter and then sits the re- or the third quarter and sits the rest of the half. Sometimes he'll come in for like the final two minutes of a half. Um, but that means Derrick Rose is playing somewhere between 16 to 18 minutes straight um, from the second half of the first quarter all the way to the end of the half. So at the, by the end of the half, his legs are not, especially at the end of the fourth quarter in a playoff game, his legs might not be as strong as they are in the beginning of a game. So so I'm he's the player I'm most concerned about with this workload, and it's going to increase come playoff time. You know, I'm, we'll chat more about Alfred Payne and the, and the rotation, but, um, you know, he might not even be in the rotation at the end of this series. And, and Derek Rose might be the only pure point guard getting minutes. So... Is he playing 40 minutes a night? And how does he look playing 40 minutes a night in a what should be a very physical series here? So he's the one I'm most worried about. I'm not super worried about Randall or RJ or those guys. Randall's had some stretches this year. He's had some dead legs or seemingly having some dead legs. But hopefully this week off should, should let him be well-rested and, and ready to go for, for the series. All right. Two things um, that have concerned me. We're talking about Jordan uh, – uh, sorry, talking with Jordan Brickman. Uh, would you like us to talk about you also on this podcast? Hopefully after the podcast, everyone can talk about me. Um, Okay, so, um, you know, uh, for Knicks Hawks, which uh, will tip off Sunday at a time to be determined, um, 
the stagnation of this offense during crunch time, and I go back to to Saturday against Charlotte, and we must have gone what five minutes, I would say, at the end of regulation. And it wasn't just not scoring. It was bad offensive possessions. It was bad shots from Julius. It was ISO Julius. And same thing on Sunday against Boston. And this is a Boston team that was resting everybody. And we barely squeaked it out. What the heck is happening with this offense down the stretch? Yeah, it, this is definitely a concern for, for me as well. Um, obviously, it's a make-or-miss league. And... You know, Julius or, or Derrick Rose or any of these guys hits those ice. Or Der- I'm sure Alec Burks will have some of those come, come crunch time. You know, they hit those shots. They're feeling okay. The, the, the offense seems to get a little, uh, I would say, lacks creativity come come end of the game. You know, they, they, they I think D, D. Rose and and Randall will be the guys with the ball in their hands. RJ at this point in his career is not the guy that's going to create consistently off of the dribble. Maybe he'll have a game or he'll have a possession or two where he does it, but he's not going to consistently break down a defense. So you're looking at Randall, you're looking at Rose, and maybe Burke that can, that can make these shots. And for the most part, if you lock off the paint, you can probably be okay with them taking jumpers. I know D. Rose, Burks, and Randall are, are all hitting over 40% from three on the season. Randall's two-point percentage has dropped precipitously, especially after the All-Star break, but if you can have contested jump shots, they're going to miss a lot of times. So if you can block off the paint and then force them to shoot contested jump shots, you're going to have some good success against them. And that, that's what concerns me in general about a team playing them in the seven-game series and getting to really understand their habits. Um, at the end of the game, it's a lot of ISO. It's a lot of Julius and a lot of D-Rose um, trying to create. And, you know, they're great at that. But when, when the team knows that's what you're trying to do and can – and can lock in and try to stop you from, from creating, it makes it difficult. So um, it'll be a make-or-miss situation for them like it is for everybody at the end of games, but I would like to see them do some more creative things, especially against the Hawks, maybe get Trey Young and some, some switches, some pick-and-rolls, and have him guard Randall, uh, make them make that switch or get a mismatch. Trey Young is probably one of the worst defensive players in the NBA, definitely the worst defensive all-star in the NBA. So... We need to absolutely make them pay whenever he's on the floor, basically no matter who's guarding him, and attack him, bully him, maybe even get in some foul trouble. That's going to be the key for me and throughout the whole series and, of course, at the end of these games as well. Um, on that note, we end up in overtime against Charlotte, and then we just open it up and run the doors open. Uh, sorry, bl- blow the doors off and, and send them home. And ultimately send them uh, gone fishing after the Celtics. Uh, sorry, after the um, uh, Pacers beat them last yep. night and beat them handedly. Why the heck did we suddenly get better in overtime? Was it as if what was it? Charlotte relaxing? Was it us? It just seemed like the ball movement and everything that was there from the first quarter up until you know five minutes left in the game came back suddenly. Is that a coaching thing? Is that a defensive change by Charlotte. Why does this happen sometimes in the NBA? I think it's, it's, you know, when a minute left, two minutes left in the game, teams will get more tight. And that's kind of what I'm saying earlier about how the offense lacks creativity at the end of games. Yeah. When you have five minutes left in a, in a period or an overtime, okay, let's, let's, we got a, we got a couple minutes here. You're not going to slow down every possession. When they're flowing, offense comes easier. So that's kind of, I think, what we saw in the overtime there. The offense was flowing a little better. It was coming a little bit easier to them. And they're hitting their shots. Once you're hitting your shots and that's flowing, then you're going to get a bigger lead as long as you're playing the good defense and getting stopped on the other end, which the Knicks generally can do fairly well. So 
I think that's a little bit of a mindset. I think it's a little bit of a experience thing. You know, Julius Randle, he's been in the league for a long time. He's never been in the playoffs. Um, RJ Barrett, obviously, has never been in the playoffs. He rose has a breadth of experience. But in general, this team does not have a ton yeah. of playoff experience. So we'll see... You know, that's where D. Rose is really a huge key here. It's great that, he, that the guy with the most experience is our point guard, um, and he can kind of lead us, hopefully. But it's um, going to be a lot on his shoulders, in my opinion. I think he's going to be he's going to be a huge part of this whole series. Jordan Brickman with us here on Teeing It Up. One thing that I thought was interesting, and this ties into offensive creativity, is there was a point in the midsection of, of this season where down the stretch, Emmanuel Quickly, who has been... Uh, shockingly amazing and and so fun to watch and this dude is only going to get better I truly believe that his ceiling is sky high I think and I think he'll be a starting guard in this league notice I I left out the definition because we'll get to that in a second Um, but he has been uh, you know for a stretch he was finishing this game and then the Rose acquisition happens and for a while he moved to the two now he's not even on the court at all at times in crunch time during these games. What has happened here from a coaching or, or, or Nexus and O's perspective? And do you think, you know, um, uh, do you think IQ should be back a part of the rotation come crunch time? You know, the, I think the, the, the problem with having IQ in the rotation come crunch time is that he's not a great creator. He's very good at attacking closeouts and getting his floater. Um, he's pretty. He's very good in the pick and roll, which the Knicks don't run a ton of with, with him as the ball handler. Um, and obviously, he's a great, he's a great shooter, either either catch and shoot or, or off the dribble. Um, but but and also, by the way, he's not a very good defender. So so when you factor that in, you're going to play an Alec Burks over him because Alec Burks can do the shooting, but he can also do some of the creating um, and even some of the ball handling that that IQ does as well. Um, you're not going to Derek Rose obviously going to get minutes over him and then it really comes down to and Randall's going to be out there is Nerlens and or, and or Taj going to be at the five I'm interested to see if we get any Randall at the five minutes in this series if they start to clog the paint a lot um, and are you going to play him over RJ now RJ actually has the most corners left left side of the hoop corner three points in the NBA this year no one no one scored more points in the corner three on the left side than RJ um so if RJ can do that, that let's say just that alone, um, IQ is, there's no value that IQ is bringing. Mm. Not going to be a better defender than those guys. He's not as good of a creator as those guys. Now, if we start to say let's play Randall at the five, um, then I could see D Rose, Burks, IQ, RJ, and Randall being out there at the end of the game. As that's about as much as you can stretch the floor as as you can for 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 this roster. Um, so I don't think we'll see him out there at the end of the game. Tibbs does have tendency sometimes, and I like when coaches do this, where if a player is having a great game that wouldn't normally be closing, sometimes they'll stay out there. A lot of times it's to the detriment of RJ, I've noticed. Yeah. But um, if, 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 I'm sure we'll have at least one game this series where IQ goes off, and well, I'm curious to see in that game um, how he does. I could also see a scenario where there's no one for him to guard on the court. Trey Young, obviously, is about as slippery as it comes offensively, and they have a fairly, fairly big Wing set after him. Um, can I see stay with Kevin Herter maybe? Um, but he's too small for, for Bogdanovich, too small for Gallo, too small for Cam and for DeAndre Hunter. Those guys are pretty large. So um, I'll be curious to see how he how his minutes shake up as the series goes on because he's not the biggest guy. He's kind of got a slight build. 
Um, obviously, he's very long and he plays hard, but he's still developing on the defensive side. So I think that's a big reason why we're seeing less minutes from him and come, come, come uh, crunch time. Jordan Brickman with us here on Teeing It Up, previewing uh, Knicks Hawks. You know, it's interesting you bring up, um, you know, having Randall at the five. Because as I was going through the matchups and, and going through the history here of um, of uh, of of the season series, the Knicks swept the season series. Uh, in game one, uh, uh, Clint Capella had 12 rebounds. In game two, uh, which was so that first game was in January, second game in February, he had 18 rebounds. Um, game three was kind of muddy because of the Trey Young injury and the and and the Bogdanovich three, and we'll get back to that towards the end because I think the impact of um, Lou Williams here is is really interesting and is a really interesting acquisition by the Hawks. But do you think the fact that Capella is going to be at the five potentially for the Hawks could influence where Tibbs puts Randall? I mean, Capella is a huge X factor in this series. For a lot of, you know, obviously he's a great defensive player, but for the reason you just outlined, he's going to kill them on the glass. Nerlens Noel is not a great rebounder. He's, a, he's kind of slight for a seven footer as well. He can get bullied a little bit down there. Um, thankfully, Capella is not much of a post player, but he's a huge factor. And Capella has, you know, the Hawks don't really switch a lot too much, but he has been in a switching system before. Obviously, playing for the Rockets, they switched everything. Um, he's he's kind of pretty good matchup on Julius. Now, Randall has gone, if you were to read the stats for Randall in those three games that they played against the Hawks, he had gone super off. I think he sort of like 38 points on average in the three games against the Hawks at a very efficient shooting. So, he went, uh, it'll be interesting. Yeah, he, uh, 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 sorry to interrupt, Jordan. He went 28-7-9 and nine in the first game, 44-9-5 and five in the second game, 40-11-6 and six in the third game. And with Capella, by the way, in that overtime game, he went 25 points, 22 rebounds. Capella did, yeah. So, yeah. so um, you know, Randall hasn't, hasn't had an issue with him so far this year, but if if they if the Knicks do go Randall at the five, it'll be interesting to see if that, if they can get Capella off the floor. What does that mean? Does that mean Collins is playing the five for them? That would be in, in favor for, for the Knicks. So um, it'll be interesting to see whether that happens. But Capella is absolutely someone that should be highlighted as a, as a problem for the Knicks here and a mismatch, honestly, that the Hawks have over the Knicks here. Um, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see kind of how they deal with his size and, you know, do they even go bigger to, co- to com- co- combat that? But um, I, think they'll, I think they're more likely to probably go small. The Knicks have not done a lot of small ball this year. They usually have either Taj or Noel or Mitch when he was healthy um, out there. So it'll be interesting to see how, how that happens throughout the series and, and what the adjustment looks like. One thing I do want to point out, those first two games when the Knicks beat the Hawks, Nate McMillan was not the coach. They are mm. a different team now with Nate McMillan. Um, they played one game against Nate, a Nate coach team. That was the game that Trey got hurt, and they were up by nine in the third quarter. So, um, And also the regular season is not the postseason, as everyone knows. So um, I think you throw out those, that three-game sample out the window, and it's a fresh lay come, come game one. You're saying all these notes that I painstakingly took for hours are for naught? <laughs> it's good. It's good to have a have a base, I guess I should say. And like yes. we see, Capella, Capella dominated us, so we need to figure out how do we stop him from doing that in the future. Yeah, uh, no, no, I'm 
Um, uh, uh, sorry, I'm I'm just playing. This is all um, you know. Good jumping off points and good film study, obviously, for the coaches. When we look at Alfred Payton, uh, I guess it's time. I, I guess it's time. Um, what the heck's going on here? And why is he still in the starting lineup? And is this kind of making him feel good and the rotation's working? And why mess with something that's not? I, I'm, yeah. I, I, I just don't know what... I, I feel bad for him in a sense. This is one of those slumps. It's just happening at the wrong time. Yeah, um, I think I think there's a couple of reasons why he's still he's still getting minutes. One, look, they're 16 and four in the last 20 games. So obviously they have not gone off the great starts. And in the minutes that Alfred plays, they are I believe they're a negative, and that negative when Alfred's playing. But they're winning the games. So if they're losses. When, when, winning kind of cures all. I think you and I were talking about IQ earlier in the year, and you were saying, like, he should start. And I was like, well, he didn't even score yesterday. And you're like, I didn't even realize it because they, they're winning these games. You don't, like, dissect the negatives. You look at the positives. So mm. it's easy to kind of say, if he's starting, we're winning. Let's keep him out there. He is a decent defender, decent, pretty good size for the position. Um, He's just a, such a negative offensively that, that, that it's tough to, to swallow. And not just offensively, but specifically how he shoots the ball. Um, and how he actually shot higher this year from three and from 20% to 28%. So he did improve. Uh, but uh, that's still way too low, well below league, league average. We're, uh, it's going to be interesting to see. The, the Hawks are going to get to a point where they're just not guarding him, in my opinion. They're going to just leave him alone when he's yeah. on the perimeter. Why not? And Double Randall. Why, why, yeah, double Randall, have a floater, double anyone that has the ball. Yeah. Um, you know, they got to worry about him cutting, obviously, but they have Capella, who's a great defender in the paint, and he could kind of be an eraser there. So, um, one that happens, and it'll be interesting if it happens in game one, or takes game two, or game three, whenever it happens, how can they keep him out there at that point? The other thing is there's not really another option on the team other than Derrick Rose that is a pure playmaking point guard. Um, obviously, there's been discussion, and, you know, I love Frank to put Frank in the starting lineup. And um, I would love that. Frank's done a great job historically on Trey, and I think we will see Frank on Trey in the series, um, probably at taking some of Elf's minutes, probably taking some of IQ's minutes, maybe even some of Obi's minutes to put him on Trey. Um, but he's not, a, he's not a guy that's going to break down the offense. But by the way, Alfred Payne hasn't really been doing that either. So I, I, I think we're going to see his minutes continue to dwindle and and maybe even be totally out of rotation by the end of this series. But he's going to be starting game one. Tibbs definitely has some trust in him. He is a ball handler. He's probably the second-best ball handler on the team behind D-Rose. There's value there. The guy's been in the league for a long time. He is a veteran. I think he scored three points in his last six games, but he's a veteran. Everyone's going to get up come playoff time. I think I think if we look up in two or three games and he's still not scoring and maybe the Knicks have lost one or two of those and the team's leaving him, Defensively, maybe you start to see a change, but um, he's going to be out there because they don't have a lot of great other options right now. Jordan Brickman with us here on Teeing It Up. Um, and this is the perfect segue into what Rose's role could be. And, and in, in my book, it's a couple things. He's a great creator. He's um, He can still get that that steal at just the right moment. And obviously we've seen Nerlens and, and, and what he can do, shot blocking. Rose gets that defensive play or makes that offensive play 
and past that just is like that that just you know takes you back like ten years when you know when literally the Derrick Rose rule came into effect because of how good he was so young. My thing, and maybe this is me just trying to figure out a potential pitfall, but there's a lot of wear on those tires, and he's being asked, as you said earlier in the pod to play a lot of minutes. And I just wonder, not so much tiring in terms of um, in-game tiring, but but just body breaking down and some kind of little injury acting up um, at, at the wrong time, especially with six days off. I, I, I just, I hope for his sake that he feels healthy the entire time. But I, I do wonder, and he's obviously coming off the ankle thing. So... You know, it doesn't take much for someone like him to run into a problem, and that's my concern. Yeah, I, I mean, he's the kind of guy that he's had so many injuries, and, and a lot of them in, you know, big, big spots where people, a lot of people are watching, where anytime he takes a fall or he's doing anything where he could get hurt, it, it's like, oh, did he just get hurt there? You know, you're kind of always on guard with him a little bit. I, I think the big thing to watch for him is how is he playing. If he's attacking the rim and putting himself in situations where he's going to take contact or whatever it might be, then he feels healthy. Um, and he's done that this year. He's been atta- he's been attacking that floater he has, which goes out to like the free throw line, which is crazy. has been has been amazing. He still looks plus has like plus speed in the NBA. He doesn't dunk at all. Doesn't <laughs> even try to dunk ever. Um, but he's just. He just becomes so. He's such a skilled player that he's able to, to make it work with his speed and his and his craftiness. So I don't think that that's ever going to shake D Rose at this point. He's in his thirties, his low thirties, and he's going to be one of those guys that looks like he might get hurt at any moment. You got to hope that the guys figured out how to take care of his body. You know, he, he used to get a lot. Obviously, had the big injuries, but even outside the big injuries, he used to get a lot of little knickknacks and miss a couple of stretches here and there. He's been mostly healthy when he's on the Knicks. To your point, he just missed the game on Saturday. They said that was precautionary. We just want to give the guy a rest because I'm, sure, I'm sure he tweaked his ankle, you know, a couple of days prior. But we don't. We can let him sit and catch his breath. We have got a whole another couple of days off here. I'm hoping that they're they're taking care of their body as they have all year. I'm sure they are, and they'll be ready. This this week should should get these guys fresh and ready to go. I'm sure that the beginning of that game, either folks are going to be there super rusty because they hadn't played in a week or they're going to come out on fire but um, you know they're, they'll hopefully they're, they're fully fresh and any nagging injuries they got hopefully they, this, this week has, has helped them recover at least a little bit we we advertise this as a mega preview of this series and it's only befitting that a mega preview comes with a mega stat please tell me you saw this Tony Snell stat I did not he is the first player in NBA history to have a 50-50-100 season. 50% from the field, 56 percent from three, and he made every single free throw. Is that a decent amount of volume, too? It's a minimum 100 attempts. Wow, that's, uh, that's amazing. Stat. My point in bringing this up is, at times in playoff games, you need to know who to foul and who not to foul. <laughs> and clearly, if Tony Snell is on the floor for the Hawks, we need to not foul him. And, you know, you've played, you know, in, in, in competitive rec leagues. And not that this may come up in a competitive rec league, but it's that attention to detail, that little thing 
that comes up. And I have to imagine Tibbs and the coaching staff has made the players aware of this. And it's like, hey, if Tony Snell's out there, just beware. He, you know, don't foul the dude. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's one of the things about the playoffs, these long series, is, you know, you play in the regular season, maybe they foul him by accident in, you know, in a random game. But when it comes to a playoff series, you're going to know everyone's strength and everyone's weakness on the floor down to the plays that they run when that player is in the game. You know, they're going to over, you know, especially when you get to game three and four and if it goes longer than that, which it likely will, they're going to really know everyone's strength and weaknesses. But, I, you know, that's like someone like Tony Snell to me um, is not someone you have to worry about at the end of a game shooting free throws. It's Trey Young because Trey Young can get the ball in his hands and that's the guy that hits a lot of free throws. He's, I, think he, I think he made the second or third most free throws in the NBA this year, and he's a great shooter. So, you know, the Hawks going to do everything they can in the end-of-game situation to have the ball in Trey Young's hands. Obviously, the Knicks going to do their best to either have him shoot a contested shot or get the ball out of his hands. And maybe it does go to Tony Snell, but the Hawks teams are pretty darn good shooters um, outside of Capella, you know, with, with the guys I mentioned earlier, like Gallo and Herter and Bogdanovich, and Hunter's had a nice year, although he's coming back from injury still. So, so those guys can and stroke it pretty good. So they're, they're a pretty good free throw shooting team in general. Um, but, you know, Tony Snell, that's a nice piece off the bench, long, rangy defender. Obviously, he can, he can shoot pretty darn well and fits into their rotate, their their uh, roster roster well as well as, as, as too. So um, you got to worry about all those guys. You know, our depth has been a huge key for us all year. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. We'll see if, if uh, we can win the bench war. Yeah, we got to stay out of foul trouble. And that second unit, which has been such a coup for this team, uh, will need to step up. Uh, by the way, it is in um, uh, 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 Trey is eighty nine percent from the free throw line. So, uh, to your point, one of the best in the NBA. Lou Williams, he played in that last game and had eleven points off the bench. This is a guy, pros pro, former sixth man of the year. Um, knows how to prepare himself even as he gets up there and years on his body. What do you think he provides uh, for the Hawks specifically in this series? Yeah, I think I think it's, it's a lot of it is the veteran leadership of a guy that's been there, done that. Um, they don't have a lot of guys that have been, have done deep playoff runs on the team, so he's one of the few. I think that's partially why they, they went to acquire him. You know, he hasn't had the best year um, in general, but he can still shoot it from three. Pretty, pretty darn well at a very high level and can create. So um, I think it's just the leadership and the ability to score instant offense, microwave type of player. But kind of similar to Trey, not a very good defender, small, can really take advantage of him um, on, on when, you're, when the Knicks have the, have the ball. So that's the type of things that, that I feel like Tibbs will, will, will be aware of and will, will do his best to exploit those mismatches because – those are the guys that they could kill you offensively, but if you're if they're killing their own team defensively, that's when it makes it hard to keep them on the floor. Obviously, Trey is such a high level offensive player, and Lou can be that as well. That it will be difficult to, to get them off the floor because they're playing poor defense. But um, you've got to make them pay for having them out there. And Lou Williams was never a good, great defender, and now he's much older and not as quick. And they got to take advantage of the got to take advantage of those guys, but. Obviously, the leadership that he has and the experience he has, I'm sure, is a calming presence for this team. Jordan Brickman joining us here on Teeing It Up. All right, Frank and Obi. Um, you said to me when we were at the Phoenix game, you said, just watch. Frank is going to have a role. 
in some game in the first round and make a difference. And he's been doing this kind of defensive specialty role where he comes in for like three possessions in a game and, you know, at the very end. And, you know, it's like those um, outfielders who get pulled in the, in, in the ninth inning for uh, defensive replacements in the playoffs. It's been a bizarre run. So, Frank and then Obi, what do you think their roles are in this series? Yeah, to, to your point, you know, Frank, I think Frank played like six seconds against the Celtics on Sunday, and he got a steal. They put him in for like the last play of a quarter, yeah. and they and they half-court play, and he gets a steal. Um, so I think I think that shows that Tim sees his value as a defender. Like, he's willing to play him. He sees that he is a top, you know, I'll call him a top five defender on the team. I think he's probably the best defender on the team, maybe Sean, Sean Nerland. But, um, I, I, so Tim sees his value there, and I think... When Trey has Trey games, and he's going to have multiple of them in this series, Frank is the best option on the team to guard him. I saw some people on Twitter today saying R.J. Barrett could be, I saw a scout, I read an article about a scout saying R.J. Barrett could be an interesting person to put on him because the size is such a big difference and R.J. moves his feet fairly well. Um, but you don't want to get a guy like R.J. or even if D. Rose is guarding him in foul trouble. Um, and Trey is amazing at drawing fouls. If Frank gets in foul trouble, obviously you don't want that to happen, especially if you want him out there towards the end of the game. It's not the worst part, worst, not the worst thing in the world if Frank gets into foul trouble. So um, I think Frank makes a lot of sense on Trey. He's had a lot of really good defensive games on Trey. I think he will be absolutely getting minutes in this in this um, series, and I think the minutes will continue to escalate as the series goes on, as they realize that they do not have an answer for him otherwise. Because um, Trey will go off. Trey will absolutely lay off in this series multiple times. And Frank's length, Frank's ability to move his feet, Frank's understanding of angles defensively, uh, and Frank's experience guarding Trey, having success against Trey, I think will, will allow him to get more and more experience. By the way, Frank shot 48% from three this year. Uh, limited, limited sample size, but my man can shoot now from the, from the corner three. I think in particular he was, he was very good. His, 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 his creation has not really developed at all this year. He wasn't really put in a situation to create. But if he's out there, he can contribute on both sides. And, and Alfred Payne cannot choose a corner three. And so Frank can do those two things better than, than the starting point guard can. So I'm curious to see how quickly Tiff throws him out there. But he's going to get minutes, and I guarantee he makes an impact in at least one of these games that helps that leads to a victory for them because that's what he does. He's a winning player. He does those, those small things. As far as far as Obi goes, I think he could be a casualty. Um, uh, you know, the rotations in playoffs get get shorter and tighter. Um, obviously, you need to give Randall some rest, and maybe that's when he comes in. I, like I said earlier, I could see Frank or even Knox taking some of those minutes. Although Knox seems to be really in the doghouse at this point, but I think I would like to see Frank get some of Obi's minutes. Obi has been much better in the second half of the season. Much more competent, much more confident. Um, his shooting has been better. He actually had, you know, all things considered, he shot almost 50% from the floor. I think it was, close, it was like 73, 74% from the free throw line, 30% from three. Not atrocious numbers for a guy that looks completely lost in the first half of the year, all on low volume, obviously. But he's, he's I could see him getting kind of played off the floor. The Thibodeau in games like against the Lakers. He'll give Obi three minutes in the first half, and if he doesn't really kind of establish himself, he won't play the second half. Um, so I could see that kind of being his role, but I could also see him being out of the rotation by the end of the series. And 
just kind of being a casual piece to play off into tighter rotations coming in. Obviously, he can add a spark if the team needs a little spark offensively, um, some pop, some athleticism. I could see him coming in as well for that. But I think we're going to be seeing Randall playing 44, maybe 44 minutes or so a night. So that's leave only a couple minutes for, for Obi. Uh, his percentages, you were basically right on, 50 and 31 um, for yeah. uh, top in the percentages. The one guy we haven't talked about is uh, is uh, 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 Reggie Bullock, who has been at times sensational and at times mystifying. But when he's on, A, he can drain it in buckets, and B, he can not only block shots, he can block shots way out of bounds to where nobody can get it. Um, I mean, he is a force when he's feeling it. And I, I wonder what his role is in this series. And I, and I wonder if he'll be able to take this shooting um, stretch that he's had into the playoffs, considering this has been an audition year, basically, for him. And this is still an audition year for a lot of these guys who are on temp contracts, even if we resign them. I mean, this is a huge moment for Reggie. Absolutely, and Reggie has been, you know, I mentioned earlier, has been best-case scenario for a lot of these guys. He's absolutely on that list. But I, what I will say is that his shooting is, has been incredible from three, and he's been knocked down, and whenever he puts one up, especially if it's, you know, from a Randall pass, um, it seems to be going in. He's not shooting, um, it's not an outlier season for him. He's kind of within, obviously it's a very good season for him in his career, but he's done this before. So I don't, I don't really have concerns about him um, you know, having a big regression. Obviously, anyone can get cold any time. Playoff defense is tougher, less room for him. That could cause him to have less open looks, miss more shots, etc. But I have faith in him as a shooter. He also has a little bit of like a one dribble pull up that he can utilize. So um, I, I think his, his offense is very valuable to the team, and I'm sure we'll see him on Trey. <laughs> Excuse me a little bit. Um, he's, a, he's a plus defender. I've been impressed by his defense. By the way, you know he's rated a D for perimeter defense in NBA 2K, which is a slap in the face um, for him. They need, they need to update that. But um, he's, a, he's a plus defender, and, and he'll, he'll, he'll be a very valuable piece of this team, because, particularly because um, you know, he's 2.53 per game for this team, which is amongst the most in Knicks history for, for a full season. So that's a guy that they're going to have a need a lot of, to hit a lot of shots and to play a lot of defense, do a lot of the nitty-gritty things that this team but the team is accustomed to him doing. Um, and you're totally right, though. He's, he's a very valuable piece of the starting rotation and um, for, for, for the roster in general. I don't think he's going to be closing games because that's probably going to go to Burks, is my guess. But um, he'll be, he's going to be playing, playing a lot of meaningful minutes. Speaking of uh, 2K, I love how IQ, when he was out, was like, anyone want to play me? <laughs> it's, it's, these guys, when they're injured, some of them are like really bored on the road. It was it was it was kind of funny and, and refreshing to see that from IQ. He's been he's been a really cool guy to follow this year. Um, and the dude practices, you know, um, after games for hours. I love how hard he works. Yeah, it seems like the, you know a lot of the young core in general um, just plays so it just works so hard uh, outside of the actual games themselves. There's a story about Randall. Um, going to a high school in Minnesota uh, to work. I guess Kobe told him, you know, no matter whenever you go on the road, first thing you do when you land is go get a workout in somewhere. And I guess Randall, one time in Minnesota, found a high school to go work out at uh, after they just landed late at night. And the janitor let him in, and the janitor said, no one has come here since Kobe uh, was playing. So I think that workout has rubbed off, obviously, on Randall and then on the rest of the team. And 
that's how you build a culture, right? That's how you get, obviously, you get better, but also shows how you build the culture that's shown in the statistical improvements for a lot of these players this year and the, the kind of unfathomable growth that a lot of them have had year over year. Totally. Is there a matchup or something in this series that we haven't talked about um, yet that piques your interest? Um, well, I think it'll be interesting to see see uh, how, how DeAndre Hunter looks. Um, he could be an interesting guy to be on Randall. Um, obviously, I think he. I think Hunter only played in one of the three games uh, against the Knicks, and, and he is a very good defender, strong, strong, and, and big, and, and has some good length on him. So, if he's the one that winds up guarding Randall, that'll be interesting. Um, whoever whoever guards Randall, I think, will be a pretty interesting piece. Um, but obviously, we've chatted about that a little bit. I think Bogdanovich is the next factor. For, for the Hawks, he did a he had a really good game against the Knicks in the yep. you know, like the overtime. Yep, hit that um, three, which sent it to OT. Right, so he, he's definitely a factor. The thing with the Knicks is that they have a lot of guys that can guard multiple positions. Bullock, RJ, if Frank is out there, obviously he can guard multiple positions. Derrick Rose is not the smallest guard out there, so I don't know if it's going to be you know I don't know if one guy's going to be matched up with one guy for the whole series, except for potentially like. A Frank on Trey or something like that, but in general, I think there's gonna be a lot of switching and a lot of um, you know playing around with different matchups as, as the series goes on because you don't want you don't want the other team's strategy to become too obvious. You want to switch it up and you know keep them guessing and have them keep changing things. And you then you know the chess match as the whole series goes on. So I think both teams have some some big athletic wings that have some switchability to them. So I don't know if there's one exact matchup on the perimeter, but whoever guards Randall and whoever guards Trey. Will be the two, the two, the two matchups to watch. Obviously, Jordan Brickman, you said the expectation has to be to win this series and be competitive in the next one. What is your prediction for this series? Knicks in six. Let's do it. That's also mine. Um, and I want to end this on this note, um, folks out there. I know there's a game, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, uh, Lakers-Warriors. It's got some all-time great players in it. I think Jordan would agree with me. If you have not watched the Knicks this year, take some time and watch this team. They're fun. They keep it loose. It's light on the bench. It's a joy to watch. It's fun basketball. It's not boring. They, unfortunately, tend to let some teams back into it. So if you see a lead, it may not be for long. I get it. There's sexier guys and sexier matchups out there. But you got to check this team out. And you got to just check it out. And I I think you would agree with that. Yeah, you know, the Knicks have had a couple um, national broadcast games over the last two, three weeks or so. Lakers game being one of them. uh, Celtics game being one of them. And it's funny, every time the announcer's like, wow, these guys play hard. Like, they're, they're, they can't believe how hard they're playing. Yes. Um, now, one thing I want to say about how hard the team plays, and I've heard someone make this comment about the next couple weeks ago, or I should say about Tibbs coach teams a couple weeks ago. Tibbs coach teams always overachieve, for the most part, in the regular season because they're usually playing harder than everybody else. Come postseason time, everyone's playing really, really hard. So it'll be interesting to see how the Hawks can match that. Obviously, as we talked about at length already today, they don't have a lot of experience either. So it's going to be interesting to see if one of these teams gets punched in the mouth early, how do they react 
um, you know, that uh, uh, Tibbs has been trying to get, our, I know, RJ in particular to raise his effort level at the beginning of quarters and the beginning of halves, especially against elite teams. Well, now everyone that we're playing is going to be either very good to elite. So they need to raise that effort level um, at all times. But I think the reason why Tibbs does that is you want to establish a pace and a tempo early on in a quarter or in a half to win that quarter, to win that half, to win that three-minute period, that five-minute period. You know, you want to break it up into sections, and if they're constantly playing hard or if they focus down real hard at the beginning of quarters or beginning of halves to win those, that stretch, that's the kind of stuff that's going to win, win games and ultimately win series. So uh, I can't wait. It's, it's uh, been eight years, eight long years, and, and this team obviously um, has a bright future ahead of itself with all their cap space and all their draft picks and, and their young players playing so well. So I, I can't wait to, to start the essentially start the new playoff era. Yeah, amen to that. Start of an era. I like the optimistic start. Hey, see you in a couple of weeks for this again. Let's, yeah, let's do it. Hopefully with a, with a ring around our fingers. What do you say? What? Hopefully with a ring around our fingers. What do you say? Amen. Amen. Well, that would be in a couple months. I'm talking about, you know, preview for series two. That's right. So, yeah, maybe, yeah, one or two weeks. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Jordan Brickman, thank you, as always, for coming on Teeing It Up. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. You got it. Uh, At Jay Shill, subscribe, rate, review. Thanks for uh, tuning in, everybody. Really appreciate it. And we'll catch you next time.